Hey, Token CEO listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball Nip. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball Nips and have a great time on the golf course. This is a big year for us. I think our biggest priority is for Barstool to be Barstool and for us to make incredible content and great content that makes people laugh, uh, to find new places to do that, different ways to do it. Okay, it is all Penn National all the time this week. This is the Token CEO Podcast. It's a Tuesday, February 21st. And this is episode 260. I'm Erica. I'm the CEO of Barstool Sports and a Penn National employee. So congratulations to everybody at Barstool who has made this possible. So much grit. Like this is the best place ever. And it's exciting to see all of that recognized. And it's exciting for us to have a new future with Penn. This week, we're talking about the ins and outs of the Penn acquisition. So you'll hear a little bit from our all hands at Barstool. You'll get some glimpses of the pen all hands, which happened last week in Atlantic City. And then as always, we'll do Q&A and um, whatever else we can straggle up. So before we do that, though, let's say a big thank you before we had a big accounting team inside of Penn. There's like a monstrous accounting team over there. Those pen people count a lot of cash. Like it's a gift. It's insane. If Can you imagine having a business that's like largely cash and and cash, 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 coins, whatever, and then having to like get that collected, move that to a place, get it in the bank, invest it. Like there's a lot going on there. So I have a huge amount of respect for the Penn accountants. If you don't have accountants as good as the Penn National accountants, you might want to try Omega Accounting Solutions. So Omega Accounting Solutions love small businesses. They love to help people understand their finances, make the most of their accounting, get their shit together in their back office. The other thing Omega Accounting Solutions knows about is something called the employee retention credit. So what's the employee retention credit? The employee retention credit says that if you had a small business and employed people during COVID, you are eligible up to $26,000 in refunds from the government per employee that you employed during COVID. So little hidden secret, if you had a business and you employed people and you paid them, you're eligible to get money back this tax season by virtue of doing that. It's called the employee retention credit. There's nobody better than Omega Accounting Solutions at helping you understand it. Quick, easy phone call or fill out a quick form on their website, and then you're off to the races. If you call 1-800-309-ERC, that's 1-800-309-ERC, or visit omegataxcredits.com slash barstoolsports, you can learn more right now. All right, so first thing we're going to do is kick it to the Barstool All Hands. So we had a company meeting it was while everyone was at the Super Bowl. So this happened last week. Francis moderated it. It was real heavy, in my opinion. But I think people got a lot out of it. And sometimes you have to have a meeting that just answers all the hard questions. So this is just a quick look at that. 
So what we wanted to do was um, Barstool's getting acquired next week by Penn. Um, Francis mentioned this at most everyone or a lot of people are in Arizona, but we had the opportunity to have a lot of the Penn folks here today. So Jay's here. Chris Rogers is the guy who originally did the Barstool deal. Felicia Hendricks is Penn CFO. And then Todd George basically runs Penn for Jay, um, runs all their casino operations, runs uh, the sports book and what they call PII, which is their interactive group. And really what I wanted to do was just to give everyone here a chance to do a Q&A of a bunch of questions that people here had raised about the acquisition. What does this mean? What's going to happen? Um, give Dave a chance to say something. This is the 20th anniversary of Barstool. And I think that being the year that Barstool is acquired is just an amazing, amazing milestone. And really just wanted to mark the moment that this is happening. Everybody will be getting a hat. We made hats for everyone commemorating this, which are pretty cool. I think Dave has it on. Um, but really just to say thank you to everyone and then just make sure that we're creating an opportunity for questions that folks may have, comments you may want to make, things you want to know about. This is really just the chance to do that. Um, Dave, anything you would add? Nope, nope. Okay, great. Francis, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, yeah. Okay, so right off the bat, first question. This is for Jay, Chris, and Felicia. Um, why did you guys buy Barstool? And are we really going to benefit you? By, by the way, let me just preface this. I didn't write any of these <laughs> questions, and I've been told to read them verbatim. So... Make of that what you will. Uh, again, why did Penn buy Barstool? Are we really going to benefit you? Go for it. I'll jump in that. Yep, sure. So um, we started looking at our potential options in the sports betting space um, as soon after PASPO was repealed and there was opportunity for legalized sports betting in the U.S. And we have, in our company, we have a, a strong regional casino operation we have really good brands that are strong in their local casino markets, but we did not have a brand we could use for sports betting that resonate with sports bettors. And we also didn't want to get into the spending fray of DraftKings and FanDuel. They spend all this money on marketing. We knew we had to acquire customers more efficiently. So that led us to look at media potential media partners. We talked to everyone out there from the very biggest media companies to some of the smaller ones. And from the second we met, Erica could tell that we were completely aligned on strategy for our vision for the future. And it was kind of just came together naturally from there. Anything you guys want to add? I wasn't here, so I can't say credit. <laughs> uh, the, the only thing I would add uh, in addition to what Chris said, it's, it really kind of allowed us to bring, we have, we have such an eclectic mix of properties in so many different markets and it really kind of became the glue that we could get behind. And, what we're seeing is that this this online space. We, you know, we're an, an older company, but last year we we added about 1.4 million people to our database, and a big piece of that was Barstool and and seeing all the people come through and then engaging with us, whether it's at the properties or through our online offerings. So it, it was just another way to generate growth and and drive traffic. Yeah, the only thing I would add on top are these even working? Like we're like. I don't I know. It, it's for looks. It's for looks. Um, the only thing that I would add is that in addition to Chris's comments and Todd's, one of the issues that we had really as an industry, but then even more so at Penn as a regional gaming operator is that the average age of the customer continued to go up, right? And so 
when I first got in the industry in the late 90s, the average age was like late 40s. And then five years later, it was 50. And then it was 52. And then it was 55. And so when online sports betting became a legal opportunity, once the law changed in 2018, we knew we needed a sports betting brand to lead mm -hmm. with. We also knew that we needed to get younger. And this was an opportunity, I think, between sports betting and the partnership with Barstool. So if you look at the results, we used to get, this is only five years ago, about 10% of our business in total came from 21 to 45 year old, 10%. And five years later, at the end of 22, we've almost doubled that to 20%. And almost all of that growth, when I say five years, is over the last two and a half years since we've all been working together. And so I think what, what's most organic in terms of like the customer flow and the ecosystem that we've jointly created is get people in the way that you guys do, which is by entertaining and most of the audience does love sports and there's a natural, natural connection from sports content to sports betting. And then we can introduce them to the other assets that we have casinos and online casino, but there's so many ways for us to monetize as long as we have great product and great content. You guys have helped us deliver on that. And I think we're in the first inning, uh, Eric and I just did an interview earlier today with the wall street journal. Like we're, we're just getting started and this is a long game. Like we're not looking to accomplish the goal next year in six months, like this is going to take years for us to do. But if we do work together and we work very hard on creating great experiences for the audience, again, whether you're comedy, if you're sports, if you're lifestyle, it doesn't really matter. We just want to continue to see the funnel grow more people come in and then we can work on how we can cross sell as best as possible across the different verticals. Um, guys, what is the culture like over at Penn? Uh, question of the same people, but mm -hmm. it can be anybody. Mm -hmm. So I'm the newest to the team. I joined roughly two years ago. Uh, I spent most of my career on wall street actually as an analyst following the gaming industry. So I knew Jay and Todd very well. Um, and as an outsider looking in, um, you could always tell that Penn was, kind of differentiated from other companies, mainly because of the transparency and the honesty that you really got when you met with Jay or his predecessor, uh, Tim Wilmot, who was the CEO for most of the time when, when I was covering. Um, but then coming into on the other side, um, you know, we're, we're not a, a huge company, but we're a rather large company. And it feels very flat because again, it's, you know, the interaction between, you know, the four of us and the rest of our leadership team and then our direct reports and the direct reports below, um, there's really not a lot of hierarchy. Um, people are incredibly smart. I learn something every day, um, but also very friendly and very real and very honest and very open. Um, I made a very big career change to come to Penn. I took a big risk and I took a big risk late in life and late in my career. Um, and I am, as and Jay could tell you, because I tell him every day, I'm happier than I could ever be. Just the transition from Wall Street, which the stereotypes are real, um, to an environment where people are just very honest and open and forthcoming and very approachable. Doors always open. I mean, we all work remote, so um, that's a bit of a, you know, kind of metaphor, but, you know, you can always pick up the phone, talk to anybody and really... Um, People are also very, very willing to, to help. And I would also say, just to add, super creative, um, su which I think this transaction that happened three years ago, and that's, you know, we're completing today, I think speaks to the creativity because Todd said earlier, you know, we're a mature company. 
Um, and, you know, joining with a company, even though it's the 20th anniversary, right, a young, you know, thriving, growing, you know, media business is very creative um, and thinking outside of the box. And that's also, I think, another term to describe this team. I've been in the industry for 20 years and I, I worked for another company for quite a, quite a number of years. And the one thing I'd say about this culture is it's ever changing. It, it continues to adapt in, in as we evolve. Um, but the one there's a few things that always are there and it's it's such a collaborative approach and i'm not just saying that because jay's here but it's um it really is such a a team environment and it was a big adjustment working remotely but you know we're we're now texting and using the phone a lot more than just stopping by somebody's office Uh, but it, it really is and i think what again for this transaction it's what can we learn from this team what can we learn from this group of people how can we be even quicker how can we we be more nimble than what we have been so um the good thing about us is we're we continue to learn with each iteration and that's uh that's one of the things i love about it um the only things that i i would add and eric we talked about this earlier today the two companies are different in so many ways of course media company gaming company um the history of in the customer, the, the audience, there's so many differences. But where there's similarities is that Barstool and Penn are both super scrappy, super creative, um, entrepreneurial, obviously, founders joining us today, and very transparent, very flat. I think that word was used mm-hmm. earlier. So if there's something cooking inside a pen and people are upset about it, I hear about it within five minutes. <laughs> Um, it's very flat. There's no bureaucracy, and we're, we have nothing to hide. Very transparent. Like you can, in France, you can ask whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can't answer it because it's not public, we'll say that. But like, it, you're not going to offend anybody at Penn by asking questions, even if those are tough questions. Um, and we, you know, that's something we take pride in. But it's part of why that first meeting that Chris was describing, and the first time that I met Dave and Dan and Erica, it was like five minutes in. You're like, we're doing a deal. And that was after having met with dozens and dozens and dozens of potential partners where you walked out like, no fucking way. Like, we have nothing in common. It's too hierarchical. Um, They don't value sports betting enough. They don't want to go through the regulatory compliance aspects. And, you know, you guys were ready to go. We were ready to go. And um, the relationship's there. Like, Erica calls me, and sometimes it's, how you doing? And sometimes it's like, what the fuck? And sometimes like, it's all good. It's like a, you know, that's the way it should be. And that's the way we try to communicate with each other as well. So there's no agenda. Like this, this is what we're going to do and let's all work together to get it done. Cool. Uh, this is for Dave and Erica. Um, guys, what are the top priorities for Barstool under pen in 2023? Um, I'll go first and then, then Dave should chime in. Um, you know, I think this is a big year for us. I think our biggest priority is for Barstool to be Barstool and for us to make incredible content and great content that makes people laugh, uh, to find new places to do that, different ways to do it. Um, I looked at the January numbers today. Pardon my take, I think it's year over year, social video is up 400%. And like, to me, that's so awesome, which is incredible brand, incredible personalities, understanding that the world has changed from podcasting to video. So my real priority is that we do things our way and we do them authentically, which is obviously an abused word, but like we do it our way and that we keep growing and we keep 
iterating and changing. Um, we do it in a way that makes money and that we, you know, that we make money when we're doing it. And we, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is we become more centric in terms of who we're talking to and what we're, what we're giving to them to make them laugh, to give them a shirt that they want to wear, to encourage them to make a bet and whatnot. So I would say from my vantage point, that's the biggest priority. Dave, would you do something else? No, I, I agree with all of it. Um, you know, I, and I've been asked a lot, like, what's going to change with, 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 I guess, the date right around the corner. And to me, on our end, the content end, I speak to a lot. Really nothing. Like, this, this, for me, was something that was put in place. And if you didn't think anything really changed three years ago, you're not going to think anything is changing now because a lot of the changes that are probably happening don't touch our world. Like they may be back house accounting and things like that, that just, they're not in our purview. So from my perspective, it is what Eric has said. Um, and there may be times when, you know, well, the decisions may be slightly changed, but for the most part, I don't think you're going to notice anything. And it's just still creating great content and making sure, you know, we're a place where content creators feel like they have freedom to be, you know, interesting and go do crazy things. And again, I, I, it hasn't, it didn't change. I don't think through the churn and acquisition or, and I don't think it changed three years ago. And again, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to see a change now. I, I really don't. Yep, I agree with that. I, and I would just double down on all those comments. I agree with that. The only, the only thing that you'll notice is what you've noticed the last three years. You might have to go through an extra training session around uh, responsible gambling and um, something that if you're in accounting, now you have to worry about Sarbanes-Oxley and a five-day close. And some of those things just come with being part of a public company. But if you're in the content world, keep doing what you do. Grow your audience. That's really what we're, what we're looking for. We, we're acquiring Barstool and made the investment three years ago and now acquiring for Barstool to be Barstool, not to make Barstool into something that it's not organically. We want you guys to be your best you. And I think if we do this right, Penn really acts as an accelerant more than anything else for the growth that Barstool, the trajectory mm-hmm. it's already been on. And three years ago, when I first met you guys, revenues were just under $100 million and they're up 150% in three years. That's unfucking believable for a digital media company. Uh, especially in this environment. Everybody's mm-hmm. crying about losing money and layoffs and all that. And you guys are growing like crazy and doing it in a very smart way. Um, so keep keep being you. And the only other thing I would say is that I don't, I don't actually think it's only for content people. I think if you're an account manager and you work in the advertising group or you're in wholesale operations and you work in the commerce team, your job really isn't going to change either. You're going to need to make it easy so that we can report financial numbers to Felicia in the time that she needs them. Like, as far as I can tell, that's like the biggest thing that's going to change. I think what's more important is we have to change to keep up with how our audience is changing, how consumers are changing, what people want, what our talent wants to do, what they're capable of. So I think the evolution that we're talking about making is stuff that that we have to do anyways. And it's frankly, Penn has nothing to do with. Like, I think part of the reason this brand is so hot 20 years later, which is truly staggering, like that just, that doesn't happen. 
is because this is a place that's like broken its brain every six months, every year, every two years to do things differently. Like Dave started with a newspaper. Then he was like, shit, I can have a blog. Then he was making content on YouTube. Then we hit podcasting. Like Kevin was all over that. Then we did live video. Then we started to do socials. So, so long as we can keep innovating and keeping the brand relevant and the brands relevant and make money while we're doing that and give great service while we're at it, I think we're in great shape. Go ahead. Cool. Um, on, it feels very serious, by the way. It does. Like, Francis is very... I'm terrified to tell jokes right now. Uh, it's, I, don't know, I don't know who my boss is here. Like... All right. So now that we've talked about the pen acquisition, everybody who listens to this knows everything that everybody inside of Barstool knows about it. We'll move it to Q&A. All right. Here's a question. Have you ever realized how so many companies have a culture of non-performance? I grew up being mentored by strong women and excuses didn't apply. But now I have a hard time in culture where non-performance is okay. Oh, this is a tricky one because, do I say that on every question? I think I might say that on every question, but this is a tricky one. So I agree. I hate non-performance and I really wouldn't spend any more time than you absolutely have to unless you are making a boatload of money um, in a company of non-performance. But I think the reality is probably a little bit more gray than that, which is there are non-performing people in most every company. It really has a lot to do with the manager and the leader of those groups. Like, I think you can have a company like Barstool Sports is even a good example, where we have super high functioning groups, and then we have other groups that are non-performing. And it probably has more to do with the boss and the culture that that person sets than with the company at large. But in general, I think non-performance is becoming more prevalent. COVID makes it harder to manage performance. COVID makes it, or remote work, or COVID made it harder to manage performance. Remote work makes it harder to create culture. So I think creating vibrant cultures at work is, is only going to get more difficult. And the best thing that you can do is to find a place where you're pushed. You may not like it, but especially early in your career, being pushed, even if you're at a job that you hate and that you last six months at, six months of having your ass kicked is a good experience that you'll take with you for the rest of your life. I wish more people looked for that. Do you have any advice for rebuilding or reestablishing your reputation with peers and direct reports after moving to a new business unit in your current company? For context, I recently applied for an internal promotion in a different business unit after taking some advice you've said on the pod about putting yourself out there and taking risks. How awesome is that? I received the promotion, good for you, and now will be in a different area of the business where very few people know me or my quality of work. Additionally, I come from a different career background than most people in the role. Okay, so one, congratulations. Like, way to put yourself out there, way to get promoted, way to be transferred to a new business unit. That must be scary and overwhelming and awesome and kind of intimidating, and they probably have a lot of trepidation. I would not worry about it. Like, if you weren't qualified, if you weren't the right person for the job, you wouldn't have gotten the job. What I would do is when you get to your new position, Ask as many questions as you humanly can. Listen to people. Take the time to get inputs from them. 
Act engaged. Even when they bore the shit out of you, just act engaged. Take notes. Um, be respectful. I think listening makes people feel that you're interested in what, in what they're doing. It makes them feel like you're aligned in what you're trying to achieve together. It makes them feel heard, obviously, and it makes them feel like you have a relationship. So that's the foundation. When you're asking all those questions and they're giving you all those answers, you're obviously going to respond back and you can talk a little bit about what you've done, why it's been great, what you've learned, how you failed. I think it's super important to be vulnerable. Um, what you've learned, what you tried and didn't work, and also where you come from. And in that conversation, you'll learn a lot about the people you're going to work with and they'll learn a lot about you. And in the process, you'll develop a relationship that you can build on instead of being like, this is me. Look what I've done. Look at how great I am. Look at everything I've accomplished. Like nobody's going to want to hear that. But having a conversation and engaging in a dialogue with people will make them advocates for you. And if they're not advocates, they will at least to understand where you come from and what you've done and you will you you will be able to say the same of them. All right, what are the best ways to help employees that are not working in the same office as you or that are working completely remotely? This is tough. I think remote work is changing everything. It's making it hard to create a sense of team. It's making it hard to create a sense of connection. I spend so much time at Barstool looking at how people show up in their Zooms. And like half the time, someone's like this far away from the screen. Half the time, their face is too close to the screen. Half the time, it's like talking to my mother where it's like just her forehead. Like you got to be conscious, I think, of how you show up in Zoom. Uh, or over video, especially if you're remote. Um, but that's a different question for a different day. In the, in, to answer the question of how you help people who are remote, pick up the phone, like call them, ask them how they're doing, send a text being like, how's it going? How are you feeling today? What's going on? What's happening? Um, don't always exist within the schedule. Like not everything has to be a video call. Not everything has to be on a calendar. Sometimes it's like the impromptu, how are you, which can make people feel connected across offices or when they're outside of the office and you're inside the office. I think the second thing is to have consistent meetings at consistent times. I struggle with this. I'm not always very good about this, but I think one of the hardest things about working remotely is like a sense of FOMO and you're missing something or you don't know what's happened or you've missed things. And so really making sure that you have consistent meetings where where conversations take place, that can be really, really important and can help remote people feel connected. And then like use the mail, like send a letter, send a care package, surprise them, delight them. You know what I mean? Like make them feel like you're close, even if you're physically far away. All right. That's it for today's episode. Thank you to Jay Snowden and the Penn National folks. Thank you to everybody at Barstool Sports. Thank you to Dave Portnoy. We will see you back here on Thursday. <laughs>